Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. It's a new year on the podcast, and I'd like to introduce you to some changes that we're making to the show. We're excited to introduce our partnership program. This will allow us to showcase more of the leaders, innovators, and organizations who are at the forefront of the economic transformation happening in our city and our province. Take a few minutes and be curious. Visit their websites, check them out on social media, and most importantly, get involved where you can. Hey, let's start with a warm collisions. YYC, welcome to uh, Mr. Andrew Coates from ProAll International Manufacturing. How are you, Andrew? Good, good. Thanks for having me on, Tyler. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. This is, as you know, the show is about economic transformation in Calgary, economic transformation in Alberta, and also the root of that beyond is exposing people to maybe stories they haven't heard, ideas, things that are going on in Alberta. Uh, let's be honest, we're a head down, ass up kind of province. We're so busy doing our thing, we often don't look across the street to see what exciting things are going on, and then the damn media is just feeding us negative sound bites all the time. So we're here to put something in that space. And you and I met, I think, just like post early days, maybe May of yeah. last year, June, we're starting to come out of the first wave as we're into the second wave. But I got a chance to meet you guys. And I'll be honest, I hadn't, I hadn't heard of you before. And what really got me excited about it, one, which you guys are a 50-year Alberta story. Well, actually, Alberta, you're an old specific suit, so I think it's really good to call it where you are. You guys are in small town, rural mm-hmm. Alberta. And you have a thriving business that I was really the most interesting part, not only what you do, which we'll get into, but that you guys sell the majority of your product, not only in North America, but you guys sell it internationally. Right. So let's start, let's give every, let's let everybody kind of back into this story. What's, what's pro all all about? What do you guys do? And then we'll really talk about how you guys have attained this success on a global stage. Yeah, absolutely. I think maybe the best place to start, just give you a little background. So we started as a company called Rhymer um, uh, Mobile Mixers back in uh, about 52 years ago. Uh, and that company uh, was out of Didsbury. Uh, we produce, manufacture concrete equipment, so concrete mixers, mobile concrete mixers. So they actually mix the concrete right on site, uh, not the same as a traditional drum mixer where you would load all your components in one spot uh, and then you have about two hours to unload that concrete. Um, in our mixers, they would be, you know, you load your stone, your sand, um, all the components, cement powder, water, um, and they're all held separately on the mixer. Uh, so you only mix what you need uh, on site. So that, that equipment's been manufactured uh, out of Didsbury and then uh uh, moved to old when we merged with our um, steel fabricator. Um, so that's when Reimer became ProAll in 2013, and we've been operating as ProAll since then. Uh, the, the company we merged with is a longtime, uh, Project Industries is a longtime uh, company in old. So uh, quite a rich, deep history. We have a few employees that have worked for Project and a few employees that work for Reimer uh, that have been, I guess, ProAll employees now for uh, 30 plus years. So um, uh, yeah, definitely a, a there's a, a small town community feel when you, when you work at Pro the, the culture that we've, we are uh, creating there or trying to create there is um, a place where people want to work um, and p- a place that people want to do business with. Uh, and uh, I think, um, and you might have some experience with this yourself, uh, Tyler, doing some um, work with us is that uh, that's kind of the feel you get when you come to Pro All. The, um, um, it's the challenge and the, and the curse of, of being small town is that you, um, you know, there's pros and cons to that and you get this really great atmosphere and culture of people that are, um, you know, hardworking and, and uh, that want to um, uh, contribute to the community. But um, you also have uh, little challenges and which we'll, I'm sure we'll get into here of, of uh, when you grow um, attracting talent when you're in a town of 10,000 people. So 
Yeah. What's, what's your, what's your guys' headcount right now? I think it's good to give people context. Sure. So, uh, today we're at about uh, 130 to 135 employees. Uh, this time last year, we would have been 85, uh, employees, 90 employees, somewhere in there. Um, and, uh, shortly after, uh, COVID, uh, you know, there was some, uh, there was some reaction there. Everyone was scared. We didn't know what was happening. Uh, we also had some holes in our supply chain with chassis manufacturers and, and um, other suppliers not being able to get us uh, the parts we need. So we actually scaled right down to about 15 employees um, in, in April. Um, oh, wow. That, uh, that's, that's, that's very real. And I think a lot of companies can empathize with that. Like nobody, like you weren't wrong to just freeze everything back in the early days, like the first round of COVID, which we're just, you and I were chatting offline. It feels a little different right now as companies are like, yeah, this mm-hmm. isn't good, but we've been here before. And maybe we're, you know, I think one thing we all, we all do a really good job at in Alberta is being resilient. And, uh, you know, the COVID has, the COVID has mm-hmm. done nothing more than kind of test, test the metal pun intended about the companies in Alberta and their abilities to survive. But you guys go from 85 people last year to 135 this time this year after dropping down to 50, as in, I'm just yeah. graphing that yeah. out the up we're good and i would imagine you guys were probably pretty consistent at that 85 for yes. a while yeah and then boom we got the, the trough and then you know it kind of looks like the economy probably um hey just curious of the last five years in alberta and maybe this is also the, the value of diversification how affected were you guys by the downturn in the oil and gas ecosystem did that hurt you sales wise and on the other side did it actually maybe give you access to more talent and employees as yeah. people yeah that's people like I know. There's two sides to that coin, but I think it's good to explain. No, you, you, you kind of nailed it. So we we did hurt a little bit. Uh, we sell obviously in Alberta. We also sell West Texas. Um, so when the oil and gas industry um, uh, goes down, uh, there is a portion of our business that's affected. Um, however, we are fairly diversified across. You know, it's concrete. So you have you know, pool builders aren't affected by the oil and gas industry as much um, to a very small degree. So. Uh, they're still going to build pools. You're still going to have infrastructure spending. You're still going to have residential concrete. Those are, um, you know, the big uh, industries for us. So um, that uh, on that side, we don't hurt as much. It's, it's kind of a smaller uh, impact. Uh, certainly, it's easier to attract um, uh, shop talent. So, you know, our welders and uh, guys that run the CNC press and just even uh, manual labor, uh, those type of, of, of staff are easier to find when the oil and gas industry is Yes. I've, I've heard that. I have other friends in the sector that were that compete for those same individuals. And like I heard them during the frustrating times of like, man, we cannot keep people employed, nor can we afford to pay them. So, you know, I always like to look at the silver lining. And unfortunately, the downturn oil and gas has had a negative effect on Alberta. It has freed up some talent for other companies to take advantage. It, it's allowed us to, to, to be quite honest, it's allowed us to grow at the rate that we have this year. Um, because of uh, the, the bottleneck, uh, especially in the fall, in September and October, and, and, and even somewhat ongoing, is um, the bottleneck is that we can't hire people and train people quick enough to produce what we're, we're selling. So, um, you know, that's a, a really great problem to have, but it is a problem when you're, when you're turning away sales because you can't, uh, you can't get staff. So um, we're addressing it, but, uh, and it's great that if oil and gas was booming, we'd probably be in a, even more of a, of a jam. But uh, yeah, I hear you. Uh, well, success, they, I, I like to refer those as success problems. Yeah, right. There's failure problems of like, I can't make, I can't make payroll. That's a failure problem. And success problem is I don't have enough people to fill my orders, which is still also real. Well, let's pivot to that. You guys sounds like early in your history, selling abroad or selling internationally or certainly to the US. How long, I'm, that sounds like that's been a big part of the company's DNA, even from the early years. Yeah, especially the US. I mean, that economy is so big. It's right there. Um, you know, we're, we're close to it. Uh, we speak the same language. Uh, we do business uh, in a very similar fashion. 
And so uh, the obstacles of doing international business that you find when you're dealing um, with Europe and Asia uh, aren't as uh, aren't as big when you're dealing with, you know, even just from a logistics standpoint, but also from the way that people, the language and the way that people do business is also a, a big challenge. And so um, the U.S. market has been a big market for us, but um uh, I moved into the role that I'm in now uh, as the vice president of sales and marketing um, in the middle of March, like two days after COVID uh, hit after lockdown. So um, it was like, here you go. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> welcome. Welcome. And we're going to lay out all sure, of our sure. staff. Tri- tri- trial, trial by yeah, fire for sure. sure. But you also, you spent some time down in the U.S. as part of yeah. your, because you've been with the company for quite a few years, correct? Like 17 years? Uh, no, like just, I've been eight, eight years. Um yeah, eight years. Okay, since okay, since twenty. Yeah, okay. But, uh, yeah, spent the first four and a half um, uh, working uh, sales in Ontario, and then uh, we purchased a second facility in uh, Fort Worth, Texas, in 2016. Uh, the company moved me there to be the general manager and, and kind of get that off the ground and, and get our operations there. So we do mounting and uh, part sales for the U.S. and uh, we refurbish equipment uh, out of that location. So I ran uh, that uh, shop for a year and a half. And then they moved me to head office in December 2018. Um, and so I've been living um, here in Calgary since December 18. But I have a, I lived for six years in Calgary. I did my undergrad at the University of Calgary. Um, so uh, moving back to Alberta was not a, uh, it wasn't new for me. It was uh, just kind of moving to a, a second home. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yes. Alberta, yeah, as someone who's not from here, Alberta, Alberta becomes home very quickly. I'm, sure. prou- I'm proud to say yeah. that. It's, it is one of the, it is one of our superpowers if you can feel comfortable here really yes. quickly. And I think that that's something not to be overlooked when we talk about talent and bringing people to the province. So, Hey, curious question from a business perspective, you guys have boots on the ground down in Texas, but I'm imagining you sell across the U S how much of a challenge or from your perspective, is it a must have to have boots on the ground to provide that credibility and kind of look them in the eye with the types of customers you guys sell to, or was that just logistically it made sense and you're able to sell? Cause I'm assuming you don't have offices all across the U S you just no. have one in Texas. What's your, what's your thoughts on what's needed to actually be successful in that? So market? I think you need to have boots on the ground. I think it's good that we have a location in the U S and, and being in North Texas, it's fairly centrally located. So um, it's a good spot to have a presence, um, some presence in the U S okay. because uh, whether it's, um, whether it's reality or not, there is a perception that um, if you're getting your parts from Canada and you're somebody that lives in Alabama or Florida, you might as well tell them that they're getting their parts from the other side of the world. So um, <laughs> even though we can, we, we know with Amazon that you can get things overnight from Calgary to Florida. Um, so uh, that's just the perception. But my, my mindset, mindset and beliefs are powerful. Yeah. And like I joke, you can argue with facts, but when you start arguing with beliefs, things can get yeah. testy. Real yeah, absolutely. So we've actually, from, from a sales side though, uh, I have hired some sales people since I've started and actually didn't go that way. I thought that um, because of the, the points that I made uh, previously here with, with the way that business is done, no language barriers. Um, so I hired two sales reps, uh, one for the West Coast and one for the Southeast. And um, they're both Calgary based. Um, and the reason for that was, uh, uh, one, I think you can travel, you can get on a plane and go there. But also, what is that going to look like post COVID? You know, what is business? How is business going to be done post COVID? So the boots on the ground, I mean, we sell equipment, right? We sell capital equipment. It's a big, heavy piece of machinery. It's a, you know, it can cost a quarter million more or more um, US once you're into it for a truck and mixer. So um, when you're looking at a piece of equipment like that, people want to get their hands on it. So there is a, there is an element of, of wanting to see the equipment. But on the other side of that mm-hmm. equation is um, um, 
you know, the, the logistics of, of business travel are going to change. Um, and, and so having somebody at the head office who can work uh, from our location and, and be a part of our team and be at the, you know, see what's going on and, and, and be part of that culture uh, was more important to me than having somebody who, you know, lives in Los Angeles because sure, they might have customers that live in Los Angeles, but if their territory is the West Coast, that doesn't really help someone in Portland, right? They're, they're still, whether you're on the phone in LA or on the phone in Calgary, uh, it really makes no difference. So um, the strategy that I've used there, just, you know, filling that out is to um, really a lot of our sales and marketing uh, department is based in uh, a head office in, in, in Olds. Okay. But what I'm hearing you loud and clear, you've, you've made that choice from the belief that culturally, like they're more connected, they're more integral that, you know, rather than having them, I like what you said, if they're in LA, but if they, if one, especially LA, if it's outside an hour drive time, which could be a six hour drive time, depending on the day, they're, they're probably doing remote calls That's anyways. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and if they're going to go up and down the West coast, they're not going to drive up to Portland for a sales call. They might as well be especially. So have you noticed a big shift? Like obviously you guys are on a big growth spurt coming out of the pandemic, but have you also noticed as buyer behavior change Are people just, is it more comfortable now or is it just easier? We, you know, we all adapted to this zoom world pretty damn quickly, like literally overnight. Yeah. I would say the one, the biggest difference is that we've seen uh, customers who, who will make the buying decision without having to see the equipment. Uh, that would be one. But the other one that we've seen the big change is that customers will want to see a local customer. So, and they'll drive, when I say yeah. local, I mean, they'll drive, you know, four hours or whatever. So you'll have a, someone from Atlanta yeah. say, oh, I, I don't mind going and seeing somebody in North Florida um, and see their operation just because they don't need to see the new piece of equipment. They just want to ask somebody some questions that's not a salesperson, you know, somebody that's that doesn't have a... Um, an interest in it that can say, yeah, listen, here's the good things about it. Here's the bad things about it. Here's the the, the pros and cons. And so uh, we've seen that a little bit and that's actually uh, opened our eyes to, to using that strategy a little bit more with when we have a good customer in an area to say, uh, to send potential customers to them um, to say, um, yeah, well, tell them about how you've made it work. Uh, tell them about how you've had success with this equipment and, and, and what you're doing to be successful because they're not a competitor to you if they're four hours away. Right. So that's a really interesting strategy around, you know, just okay, my marketing has coming on now. The like the ability to create a community of like-minded like operators that can learn from each other but are not direct competitors. Like that's an interesting and the common point being your piece of equipment that links the two together. That's a really interesting strategy as we talk about community and we talk about purpose. And you know, our purpose is to, you know, and you and I've chatted about this, like make our operators better operators. Well, sometimes, you know, they're gonna learn more just by me connecting connecting them with another good operator who happens to use my equipment, strangely yeah. enough. That's an interesting strategy just overall that to me I think really leans towards I'd say where we're all just headed as we become more disconnected we want community even more we need it right yeah we we I, I had experienced it one other time and, and I guess I it just it went over my head when I saw it uh, when I was doing sales but um, I sold four mixers to a pool builder in Augusta Georgia and they wanted to see these running so we took them to our largest customer in the US which is in Fort Worth or in Dallas so uh, which is why we bought the place in Fort Worth so we brought them to Custom Creed in Dallas and uh, um, this was right when we had changed to add a lot of technology to our mixer and a lot of automated features. And people were really worried about that, you know, so it's not hydraulic levers anymore. If something breaks and you're somebody that's been using hydraulic levers for 25 years, you know how to fix that. If it's got an interface now that is got um, you know, a screen and, and a PLC, uh, that's a little scary. So um, anyways, they, they, they came out and they saw this mixer running and uh, they had a bunch of questions. And then they asked the operator, the owners asked the operator, um, how long have you been doing this? You've been doing this for a long time. And she said, uh, four weeks. 
And they turned to me and said, well, we're, we, we have everything we need. Let's go for lunch. Because when they heard from her that it only took four weeks for her to get from, uh, you know, never using one of these to being able to, to pour concrete completely confidently and answer the, the questions that they were asking, uh, that gave them the, the insight. So, you know, maybe that's something I should have picked up on, you know, four years ago or whatever that was. Yeah. Uh, Hindsight's twenty twenty, yeah, my friend. <laughs> yeah. But we've seen it now for sure. That's no, I, I really appreciate it. It's, I've, I found it, and, and it's interesting to hear that you're seeing it change a little bit, or maybe now that they, they still want to see it because there is a, it is a physical thing. And you and I joked offline, like you guys build hardware, you guys build big steel. This isn't a software package or a SaaS platform that they can just log on. Like they still, they're going to touch it. It's going to be shiny and new. And there is still something about a piece of equipment that I still think is, 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 is got some upside. When you think about global or internationally, how's that been for you guys? Because this is a big piece of equipment to ship across the pond as, as they, as they, as they, might yeah, um, that part was a little touch and go, especially in the summer, um, in terms of, uh, if you have less flights, uh, and less, uh, ships moving. So, um, you know, we can still get stuff into sea cans so we can fit two mixers into a sea container and we can fill the mixers with a decent amount of parts. But for a customer like we have in the UK that buys, you know, 40 to 50 mixers a year from us. Um, you know, we're sending stuff, obviously we're sending, you know, four mixers a month. So that means that we're filling containers there. There's also a lot of parts, you know, they buy quite a, quite a bit of parts. So we're sending containers of parts. We're sending containers of mixers. Um, that's been good recently. We just sent a container yesterday. So I know that, uh, it's been, it's been good in the last few months, but in the summer we had some challenges, uh, with that. Um, and with the, and with the shipping rates too, right. Uh, when the prices go up, uh, someone's got to eat that and uh, it can't be us because we've already set our margins. So um, you, you're yes. kind of having to pass that along to the international customers. Um, for a customer like the one in the UK that does so much work, it's easy to hide some of that cost when you've got a bunch of parts going over. For some of our smaller distributors in um, France and Belgium and um, Russia, you know, those are a little tougher. When you're sell- sending stuff over there, um, you're wanting to make sure that you get everything that they need and as much as you can into a container because the container costs what the container costs. So as many parts as you can get in and right. things you can fill into there. So, so what, what are your core competencies is how effectively you can pack yeah, it? Yes, exactly. Yeah, we need some really good Jenga players to, or uh, Tetris, yeah, Tetris yeah. players, I mean, to, to work at ProHall, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, both kind of both both those analogies work, but you know what? The Django usually yeah. falls over the edge. You don't want that. Um, so curious from a, from a, hey, you're you're a sales guy. You got your sales hat on. How do you how do you want to acquire new customers and to stay in touch on a consistent enough basis with your customers overseas? Because that's that's a real like you know again we have got online yeah. you said, but now you've got a seven eight hour ten hour time difference. How do you guys manage yeah, we, that? So we used to do a lot of trade shows. Like a big chunk of our marketing budget was trade show spending. And um, that was one of the things that I really wanted to address early on um, uh, when we looked at marketing for uh, the 2021 budget was it's really important to be at some of these trade shows uh, for whatever reason, people still want to get their hands on it. They still want to see it. If you don't go to a show like World of Concrete, you might as well not be doing business in the concrete industry. Um, But the amount that we spend there is going to be significantly scaled back uh, because um, to your question, uh, I think a big push, a a big... um, uh, spend for us in 2021 and moving forward will be digital marketing. Um, and so um, things like our website and, and search engine optimization, but also, you know, whether it's, whether it's social media or it's um, uh, display ads or um, all the different things that we can do, um, staying in touch with our customers. You, you, there's so many touch points now that didn't exist even 10 years ago. Um, so we're finding now that we're getting engagement um, on Instagram or we're getting engagement on LinkedIn or so you're getting touches with, 
um, with your customers, but it's not just a salesperson anymore. Now it's the salesperson and the service department and the marketing person who's running the uh, Instagram account, who's responding to them and saying, oh, really cool work that you're doing there. And so um, you're getting these touch points with uh, customers who are thousands of miles away um, and you're getting them from an array of people across the uh, ProWall network. So you're, they're not just, hey, Andrew's my sales guy. Um, I, when I need something, I call him. While that may be true, um, they're also talking to our service department. They're also talking um, on, on a lot of different platforms. So that, that digital marketing space, I think, is going to – COVID's kind of uh, amplified that even more. Uh, I think we were already trending that way, and then COVID gave us a nice push um, to, to get us – You know, for, for those of us that were worried that we had to get on a plane to see a customer um, – that, that now, now that we've done these um, Zoom calls and, and things, people have become more comfortable and realize, hey, you know what? I don't need to spend $2,000 on flights, hotels, rental cars, food, et cetera, to go see a customer in uh, in California. I can just uh, get on a Zoom call and in 60 minutes we can solve uh, what we need to solve. So, No, it's powerful It's because B2C obviously has been on that train for a long mm-hmm. time around using digital more effectively in the multiple touch points. And <clears throat> I always joke, it was just a theory that I always had, like B2B, like B2C never had a result, relationship with their customers. You like you buy the toothbrush, you go home and you don't buy another one unless you see an ad on TV <laughs> or you need a toothbrush. So I think they jumped on digital so aggressively because, wow, now I can actually stay related to the customer. Where B2B has always been a little bit more relationship. You know your guy and he knows you. So there was always this, ah, my, my clients are never going to use these tools. And I'm talking about the standard old guy who looks at me and goes, ah, Tyler, digital ads, bullshit. No one, it doesn't matter. But then all of a sudden, like this phenomenon of like as the world moves to Amazon and e-commerce and all those things, it's like B2B all of a sudden goes, wow, we need to get on that train and get our version of it really quick because the, you know, drinks in a night out at the hockey game or a flight to California, that got removed like literally in about 24 hours. It's so interesting how it's happened. And B2B is now, you know, and you and I have had lots of chats about this, really understanding that the world has changed, but they're also jumping on the train really fast. Like it's kind of, they, they held off the train and now the train's moving and they're jumping on a lot, a lot more quickly. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And it's good to see too. I think it's probably, um, if there's any silver lining that you can take from, from the pandemic, this is one of them uh, that you can say, you know, we're moving in a, in a direction that. I think we wanted to, we wanted to go. Uh, those that are a little bit more progressive might have said uh, it's, that's a nice thing to see that we are getting there a little faster now. So, yeah, there's the you know five five years of innovation happened in five months. Kind of yeah. there's a million different metaphors yeah, of right. that, but rap, rap, rapid rapid adoption. So for you, so curious from your perspective, like you look down the road, so. COVID gets behind us. It's going to get behind us. I'm just not sure when, but I'm going to be optimistic about that. Do you see the world of concrete being a thing? Like, would you, would you see yourself? And I'm, we, we'll, we'll go back and listen to this in a couple of years. Yeah. Do you see yourself going to world of concrete two years from now? Or do you see this infrastructure you've put in place actually taking the place of that cost while also potentially adding more value to your customers? Yeah. You know, it's funny. There's a t- timely question because my CEO uh, had this same conversation with me in my office yesterday um, and, and was kind of questioning the same yeah, thing. I- like, hey, do we need, like, how much money should we be spending here? And do we need to be going? So I, I would say the same thing I said to him. Yeah, I think we need to go. I think we will need to be there. But um, what our show looks like and, the, and the, the, the spend, you know, we spend deep into the six figures to go to World of Concrete between all the different people that have to come, the booth space, the equipment you send. I mean, not the cost of the equipment. Um, that's not even included in that number. So um, it's, it's just expensive uh, to go. I think that scale, that will be scaled way back. I would be surprised if four or five years from now, if we weren't doing a, 
you know, more of a, here's a, here's one mixer with a little demo of, of what we can do, um, as opposed to sending two mixers and a big booth and all this stuff. Um, you're better off to spend that, that those marketing dollars on, on digital marketing or, um, um, going and doing, you know, road shows where you're, where you're showing it to multiple customers in, in their location and bringing it to them. So, um, I think as the industry changes and as not just our industry, but I mean, industry in general changes and we, and trade shows become less common, which I do think is going to happen. Uh, I don't know the timeline on that, but I, I do believe that's the way we're going to trend. Um, and also with technology, I mean, um, the way that we can showcase a mixer today is a lot different than we could showcase a mixer uh, even 10 years ago, because if you think about, um, if I take a picture with my phone, that picture is a very high quality f- uh, photo. So I can take lots of pictures for customers that can show them on you know, things. Um, and that's not even to go as far as the things that you can do in marketing where you can do, you know, renderings that are 360 degrees and, and, and things like that. So you, you can do a lot of things now and, and showcase a, a, a product that you, you really would have struggled to do, you know, in, in 2008. Um, but now in 2021, uh, you'd be able to to show and, and, and do things that, that weren't available. Um, and so I think that will really help um, shift from uh, where we're seeing uh, trade shows to a lot of uh, online, more online presence um, and, and a lot more online purchasing decisions. No, I agree with you. And I, th- I think you're going to see a lot of creativity, like just the thought of like, say you do go on a road show, but now you've got a briefcase full of VR gear and you literally show up and now you can walk the customer through your, you know, because even on that, on that trade show floor, they could see your piece of equipment, but they don't see your manufacturing facility. They don't get necessarily that small town vibe. Like I'm always about how do you capitalize on everything into, into a value, but you've got to, the old joke in retail, if you don't go there with your mind, you'll never go there with your wallet. Being able to transport the customer into your world, that's like, that's already now. Yeah. It's just the cost and the scalability of that's coming down really fast. And to me, that that gets me as a marketer, gets me really right. excited. Even as a human, because those experiences are really like, I don't know, have you, have you tried VR recently? Like, it's a mind-blowingly immersive experience. Yeah, it's a little scary, actually. You take that thing off and you're like, oh, that was a <laughs> different reality I was just in. <laughs> I mean, within seconds, the brain is yeah. is there. Yeah. And can you imagine, I'm just, I've walked through your facility, I'm imagining taking a customer through that. Every customer, like all of a sudden, those 10 questions that they would ask normally just got answered because they yeah. saw it. Yeah. It's, the how and the why and the what. Well, walking through that facility is, is actually a really great selling feature. I mean, because we are in olds, it's not often that we get to walk our customers through, um, you know, because you're if they're international, they're flying into Calgary, we're driving them an hour, they're usually staying overnight. So, but when we do walk people through, they get to see, you know, right from when we're pulling in that raw steel through it being cut and bent and uh, painted, uh, you know, having all of the components added to it. And, and so when you walk through, um, walk through the shop, you can kind of walk through the, the, uh, the life of a mixer, you know, the, the beginning to the end of, of, you know, that raw steel right to when it's parked outside ready to, to ship. So um, it's, it's, it's a cool thing to see, you know, a bunch of people welding and cutting and, and bending and painting. It's, it's, uh, there's a lot going on. And, uh, I often joke, um, you know, our CEO came from a, a background of, he was a welder. And so he's, uh, he's very comfortable on the shop floor. Um, I, I'm not a welder. I, I, while I do have some manual labor experience, I, it's been a few years. And so, uh, I'm not as comfortable. I, 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 I can, I can relate. So, I can relate to it on that one. So, uh, even for me, I'm pretty wowed by some of the stuff that they're able to do. Um, and it's, it's cool to work at a place where you can, um, where you can see that, you know, and, um, 
especially now uh, where we've, um, I was mentioning to you offline that we just yesterday uh, started with a, an afternoon shift. Um, and so um, now when you see how busy it is, you know, you, it's not just, there's a welder here and a welder there. It's you've got, you know, bay after bay of people. There's, en- there's, there's, there's energy. There's yeah. energy and stuff yeah, happening. Exactly. So. It's so good to hear you guys are doing, are being so successful and coming out of like, you know, some of those staple, and I don't want to say recession proof because construction isn't, but when people are now staying home and they're doing more rental projects and you've got a lot of these, cause you're, 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 your specific application is oftentimes for smaller jobs. Is that correct? Like not to minimize yeah. it, but it's for where you wouldn't, where you don't need a hundred loads of concrete. Yeah, that, that's correct. Yeah. So while we can do bigger, bigger projects have been done with our mixers um, and, and they're capable of doing that. You know, typically if you were going to put in a new Walmart super center and you were going to pour that big, um, you know, flat uh, pour, uh, you would, you would, get drum mixers to just line up and, and back into a pump and just pump that in there. That, that makes the most sense. Um, but anything that there's time sensitivity, special specialty mixes, you know, where you're doing uh, one of the, one of the big ones for us right now is uh, utility fill. So um, that's always been uh, an industry for us. Um, and utility fill is basically where they put, uh, they, they cut a trench in, uh, they put utility lines down and then they put yeah. um, this, this type of concrete that's easily breakable. So if you ever need to fix the line, so it's got good, uh, the strength of it, you can drive on it, but if you just were to hit it, you know, it, it, it breaks. Shutters it'll, yeah. it'll break out. Cause I was immediately thinking like, how do I get in there to repair it after? But thank you. You, you yeah, answered that cement, My limited yeah, knowledge. Low cement content in the concrete so you can break it out. But where we're seeing a big push now is um, the 5G networks that are going in. So 5G networks obviously are big hmm. everywhere in the world. Um, but there's a big push, uh, you know, here in Canada, as well as in the U.S. to, it's a race to, to, to get the, these, these 5G networks built. And uh, all those 5G networks need um, new cable laid. And so the companies that are doing this are not, it's the Googles of the world that are doing it. And so we actually had a company in Texas this year buy 13 mixers from us specifically uh, only to do um, contract work that they had won uh, with Google to lay 5G networks. So it's something that we're really digging into to see, you know, what is the opportunity there? Because 5G isn't going to be built in a day. It's going to be, you know, um, 10 plus years to to build out this network. And so if we can capitalize on a piece of that um, uh, in the U.S. and in Canada, great. But um, 5G is going to be uh, everywhere. So um, Europe and Asia uh, are going to be right there as well. It's so interesting. I love when you, like... It's so easy, and I have so many conversations with the tech tech community and tech startups in Alberta, and I think it's great, and I'm so glad we're moving there because tech is an underpinning. You even talked about your mixers. You went from hydraulics yeah. to like digital screens and modules and actuators right. versus just somebody pulling a lever. So technology is playing a role, but it's so. And I just find hardware and manufacturing it's just not that sexy anymore because everyone's on this technology and SaaS platforms. And but it's still good to remember that we still need physical things. Absolutely. Like, and Alberta is really good at building yeah. stuff. Like we've been building stuff here for a long time and it's good to talk about what's new and exciting, but I still think we need to remember our, our roots and stuff that we're just damn good at here. I completely agree. And I think that the, the manufacturing obviously is not a big part, right? So uh, in, in terms of GDP and, and, and the jobs that we create in Alberta, it's not, a, it's not our biggest industry, but, um, and there's parts of manufacturing that won't, won't come back to North America. You know, we've off, offshored them and then they, they probably will stay, you know, textiles and things like that are never going to come back to North America, but um, that's not to say that we can't manufacture things here. Um, and so um, the type of equipment we sell, uh, there's five of us in the industry, uh, five, five players. And I really, it's, you know, three or four that are, that are, you know, big, um, two, uh, two that are, are our size, you know, Pro and Cement Tech are kind of on their own. And then there's, there's the other ones, but um, they're all based in the U S and Canada. So there's, there's one uh, in Alberta, one in Ontario, and then three in the U S and, and that's selling, you know, internationally. So 
the idea that we can't manufacture something and be competitive on a glo- in a global market is is not accurate. Um, and so um, we're not we do compete with other smaller similar but different uh, type companies uh, that, that build stuff out of Italy and um, we compete with them in Europe but um, but we can compete um, and we can sell there so um, you know the UK market is full of mixers from that are being built in uh, Alberta and Ontario they're not being built in Europe so um, you know it's 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 an interesting idea to think that manufacturing is you know uh, I don't know what kind of images uh, it conjures in your mind when you think of of manufacturing but uh, I believe for a lot of people especially um, you know the uh, those that are maybe 40 and under they think of manufacturing as like you know uh, you know banging out steel and and that is true but it's also true that these things are used um, you know whether or not you um, notice it they're using your day-to-day life these are things that affect your that, that we need um, uh, and so uh, to, to turn your back on that um, and to say uh, well we're not going to look at that I really it's tech you know like it's a lot sexier to think of you know, Apple and Google and Amazon and Facebook and Tesla and those are you know even even if you look yeah. at their stocks it's sexier to think about those you think wow geez <laughs> it's, it's been very sexy in the last 10 months for sure so, absolutely you, you know you look at that but but hey Tesla still builds stuff I will give it they enough. still have yeah. plants and manufacturing facilities you know but for the for the perspective of we all look at it as this piece of technology but it still has to be That's built right. somewhere someone has to you know and even i've walked through your plant and you know the guys with the dirty environments and punching the punch clock with the hammer and banging the nail and banging the, the, the steel with the welders that environment has also become significantly more technologically advanced like technology yeah. is making those work environments better faster safer cleaner all those things environmentally sound oh absolutely I mean, we have a we have a laser cutter that we run now right so that uh, does all of our um uh, cuts all of our steel for us and that technology alone you know that wasn't around um 10 years ago and i mean it's an expensive piece of equipment but it pays for itself with the man hours that it saves well and you share you shared with that creates basically a zero waste yes, almost, kind of yeah. environment right because in the way that the way that it is able to analyze and functionally use every piece to, which also allows you to stay competitive. Like if you're doing things the old way, you probably couldn't be competitive. Price yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a big CapEx right off the top, but it pays itself back. Uh, it's uh, we, we've had it for about three years and um, that piece of equipment, I mean, it, it runs um, anytime, every hour that there's someone in the shop, we're running, uh, we're cutting steel through that. And, and like you said, min- minimal waste, almost no waste. So, yeah, that's those. Those are all great stories that come sometimes just get buried in the "this is how we do it" kind of process, but still need to be called out. So I hear you loud and clear about the world of you know B two B, especially, and, and I love like big heavy iron, but still technology is going to play a role. Who knows about trade shows? Like the the world, we you know it's going to be different coming out of this. And I think a lot of things, like you said, are innovations that we were on track for. They just got really accelerated. But the one thing I heard loud and clear for you, it sounds like still the biggest challenge is talent acquisition. So is that something for you guys where you would part on, I'm just, I'm digging a little bit here. Cause if you're like, you've got market, you've got access, you're growing. And then the one thing is like, shit, we just can't get enough guys and gals to do, to do the work. You know, do you see, is there a role in Alberta for some of our trade schools? Like, how do you maybe see that from your perspective? You're going to amaze the ma- magic wand to make your life better. How would you think of the, we can fix that? Yeah, certainly. I mean, um, I, I think you nailed it. It comes right down to, um, if, if the people that are entering the workforce don't believe that there's opportunity uh, in that 
in that field or in that type of work, um, then why would you choose that type of work? So if, if all we tell, you know, high school age and, and uh, college age um, people is that uh, these are the fields, you know, you have, you have to go to university um, because if you want a good job, you go to university. Well, as someone who graduated with a, a bachelor's in sociology, I can tell you that it didn't help too much when I, with that and a cup of, with that and a dollar 50, I can get a cup of coffee. So, um, you know, uh, they, you know, I think right, it starts right here, right at the level where you say, look, this is a, this is something you can do and, and is, um, um, is a career, is a career choice and a career path. The, the talent acquisition piece that's, that's tough for us is, I don't think it's that we're in Alberta. It's that we're in old Alberta. So if we were in Calgary, if we were in Calgary or Airdrie, you know, if we were commutable, but, um, you know, I live in the North end of Calgary. Um, that's the reason I'm, I'm moving, um, is because I, I'm sick of the 50 minute commute, um, each way. So, um, you know, yeah, I'm, that's, it's, that's a real, that's a real thing. And in a, in a world where now people don't want to drive and we want to, yeah, it's, it's that, that's an interesting so, one for sure. Quality of so life. when you're in a town of 10,000, you know, I think, um, don't quote me on this, but I believe we're the second largest, um, uh, employer in Olds after Olds College. So um, in a town of 10,000, um, and you're not, you don't really have a population close, right? Airdrie's maybe 40 minutes, 35, 40 minutes away and Red Deer's 35, 40 minutes away. So you're, you're basically pulling from, um, you're in a small town and you're pulling from neighboring small towns, you know, Didsbury, Carstairs. Um, uh, there's not too much um, population there to support. So what we're, what we're finding is, um, uh, it's it's a good thing that that oil and gas uh, for us. It's a good thing that oil and gas has yeah. not been booming. Yeah. Oh, I, I heard I heard you. I've had that conversation yeah. with quite a few people that they're like, "Hey, you know that 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 level of competition was ridiculous and not even and not sustainable." Yeah. So you know, I, again, I, I I say this very gingerly and with with deep respect. I'm glad the oil and gas industry didn't come roaring back as quick as we all hoped and thought it might, because I think it's allowed some time for other industries to take hold and to get some success. I think it could come back a little bit anytime soon. Like I want to be really clear, really clear <laughs> yeah. on that. As a, as a province, you're putting on GDP and the amount of employment that it creates. But there's a lot of things that got some momentum in Alberta that wouldn't have if the oil and gas industry Absolutely. stayed status quo. That's just a, that's yeah, hopefully it gives us the opportunity to um, uh, open our eyes to diversification a little bit here to understand that. Well, I've, I've Totally agree with you and, and feel the same way that I would love to see oil and gas come back. It's good for all of us Albertans uh, when oil and gas is is going. Um, but that being said, the silver lining here is that we can look to some other industries and say, hey, where else can we, so that when oil and gas comes back, we can say, okay, well, we've got oil and gas, that's good, but we've also got these other sectors that are, you know, manufacturing and tech and um, whatever the other sectors yes. that you want to focus on. But but when you diversify there, and, and that might happen, uh, again, back to the idea that if it's happening at a, at a student level, that they're going, ah, I'm not going to put all my eggs in the basket of oil and gas. I'm going to um, uh, go get an education that trains me to do um, other things. And that will really help us um, you know, diversify our economy a little bit here in Alberta. No, you're right. And if, you know, I, again, I think you and I are a few years removed from the school system, but if I'm, you know, my, I should talk to my nephew about this. He's 16. He's looking out at the job world I'll just go to oil and gas and make a hundred grand on my first job. That's not on his, that's not on his, like uh, on his view yeah. in his, in his windscreen yeah. right now. That's just not fair. So there's some interesting decisions being made and you know, he's looking at things like environmental. Like I was chatting with him the other day and I was just thinking back, where would he have be if it was five years ago? You know, maybe doesn't love school, maybe like wants to do things differently. Oh, I'll just go work and I'll just go work in the patch. That was always this kind of backstop for, I don't know. I'll just go here, make a bunch of money, buy some quads, buy some skidoos, buy a truck. Life will be great. 
uh, you know, that, that did create other challenges to your, to, to your point. I think having different, uh, multiple horses in the race and anyone you listen to anything about oil and gas, I believe demand for energy will come back all kinds of energy. And I believe our industry will, is not done and forgotten. Like maybe a lot of media likes to portray, but I don't think it's going to come back like it was. I think it will be very different and there won't, there will still be more balance. I think in our province, cause it's not going to, it's not going to look like it did seven or eight years ago. Which, which hurts in the short term, but is, is a good thing in the long term. Yeah. You know, it, for, for maybe not in the next five years, yeah. five years, you're going to feel some pain, you know, around, um, around the oil and gas, uh, you know, doing what it's done. But over the long term, it, it's a good thing. It's a good thing that we can be more diversified. It, it means that the next time that a sector drops off, whatever that one is, and if I knew what it was, you know, <laughs> I'd be in a different line of work, but, uh, but uh, <laughs> absolutely. You and I be, you and I be having a sidebar conversation. Yeah, that's right. But when that drops off, then you can, then you're prepared. You know, you're not in a spot where you're going, damn, our economy is just uh, limping along here because one sector's uh, taking a hit. Well, hey, it's if you look at it just from pure business strategy, it's not not good to have all your eggs yeah, in one with one yeah, customer, absolutely. right? <laughs> you know, we've all read those 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 case studies of like, well, eighty percent of our revenue is from one customer, and then they had a bad year, and well, we know we know where that story yeah. ends up. So to hear you guys have been able to diversify like over the history of the company, but to to hear about the success that you're having and the partnerships and the ability of you've done that to me, it's a really inspiring story. And I really wanted to talk to you, get you guys on to chat chat about that. There are great companies in Alberta doing great things that actually make yeah. stuff like. Like, let's not forget that that is the talent and that's okay. Like I love tech and it's really exciting and shiny, but I've also been to your manufacturing facility. It's pretty cool as well. Just in a different, just in a different yeah. way. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's certainly exciting for those, uh, you know, like our VP of engineering has been with us for eight years um, and uh, incredibly intelligent uh, guy. He, he actually built our hydraulic system. He built our, um, the control system. So he did all the software for the control system. So uh, has a few skill sets, obviously, but uh for him, um, you know, to your point of actually building something, you know, seeing it come to life. So in the time that I've been with the company, I saw what we used to make with a black and white screen that had, you know, three or four different options to, to this full color screen with automation and um, uh, even seeing that transition, you know, it, it's tangible. So you, it's something that you can, I mean, I'm not saying that if you work in tech and if you work for that, you can't see um, results or, or see the, the difference because you can, sure. but it, it's something different when you can actually put your hands on it um, and, and see, Hey, this is what we built five years ago. And this is what we built today. And I think that that's a really, you know, if you were to talk to um, Curtis, uh, our VP of engineering, he would, he would tell, you know, it's an exciting thing for him. It's exciting for him to be able to see um, the transition from um, what we did or what we were doing to what we're doing now. And, and also even, you know, where we're going next, because, you know, you, you, you can't close the door behind you. So you need to be thinking about how do you, you know, how do you get to the next thing? How do you uh, um, stay ahead? Well, and to think about technology and, you know, it's so easy, I think, from the outside. I've had guests on talking about even the agriculture sector. And if you're not in it, it's really to look that look at that as like, oh, that's just the old way of doing things. They're so technologically advanced, like the amount mm -hmm. of tech that they have oh, yeah. infiltrating all of their equipment, mapping to self-driving. And you think about concrete, from the outside, it sounds like a pretty, like, oh, awesome. concrete mixer. Doesn't it doesn't sound like a smart piece of equipment? But then when you see the what you guys are doing to actually create technology that allows that physical process to actually work better, it's kind of that thing that technology isn't a sector, right? It's just an underpinning of yeah. everything and the role it plays in your world to make your piece of iron That's smarter and the, the work it That's does right. better. Yeah, and without getting too technical, I mean we everything is automated now on that machine. So um, 
essentially if, if something went wrong before, if your, if your stone ran out or your sand ran out or the water stopped or one of your admix chemicals was, was dumped up and wasn't coming through, you wouldn't know that unless the operator did a visual check to see that he wouldn't know that. Uh, but now all of those things are automated uh, and, and tracked by the system. So if there's a mistake being made, if your stone isn't or your sand isn't, um, you know, where it's supposed to be or you're, you're not getting enough water, the machine just shuts off. So um, it's not just, uh, hey, we're making this and it's, it's, it's cooler, it's, it's easier to use. Yeah, it's, it is cool and it's easy to use, but it's also functionally better than a mixer that we built five years ago. And so, um, you know, the, the other thing we did was a, a telematic system, right? So uh, we have this Prol Spider. It's a, so you can see, you know, for, for those that have a, a fleet of 10 mixers, they can see where every truck is, um, if it's on, how much it's poured, um, and they can even diagnose their truck. So right from a, I'm a, uh, cloud-based platform, they can go on to, you know, truck number three and see, oh, look at that. Uh, it's got a hydraulic issue with one of, uh, with that valve. Okay. So we know what the problem is. You can either, you know, you can fix it right there, or um, if it's not something you can, you, you at least can identify it so that when you get back to the shop, you know what to fix. So, you know, that level, like technology can be scary to the, to the user thinking this is a lot. And if it breaks, I don't know how to fix it. And it, there's some of that that is, is true, but there's so many benefits that you get by, by um, integrating technology into the equipment um, that um, for the most part, once our, once our users get over that initial um, fear of, of new technology, um, it's been really well accepted uh, by, by the industry. Well, I love the root of that story. Again, as a marketer, what am I seeing is that you guys are actually doing things that makes, like you're allowing your customer to run their businesses better, not just deliver. It's not just that they can deliver a better concrete pour on site, the whole overarching support of this, how this unit interacts in your business. And I think that's the future of success when it looks at, you know, in how you're making your customer's life better by removing friction in, in their world. No matter what you do, I think that, that the demand for that is like, it's expected as customers. Like we all demand it now. Like, you know, whether it's our click on Amazon and getting something in one minute, that having a partner that maybe provides all these auxiliary services that weren't maybe what we bought from them, but when you put it all together, it's why we yeah, keep buying. It's, it's <laughs> one of the most important things in B2B, you know, because you're, you're essentially the part, you're a partner with your, your customer. So you're a partner in their success. If, if, if you're doing something that's helping them um, as have more success, then there's a, a higher likelihood that they're buying more from you, whether it's more mixers or more parts or, you know, whatever the case is in, in, in uh, the example of Prolol. Um, but it's relationship with that, that relationship with uh, the customer in B2B is, is, you know, obviously I come from a sales background, so I'm a little more sensitive to the, to the relationship in B2B, but um, it's, uh, we often talk about how uh, at Prol that we're, we're partnering with our customers. You know, we have a, we have a, a concrete business solutions uh, business unit that we have just launched um, that's around consulting for our customers. So um, we go and we'll do a, a market analysis. If you're a, if you're a customer in Kansas City and you um, you know you want to grow your company, you want to see what the market is. We'll come in and do a, do a market analysis. We'll look at your mix designs. We'll basically do a full consult of your whole business, um, and that's run by two individuals with that have a combined sixty years plus experience in the in the volumetric uh, or mobile mixer uh, industry, and um, so they. Come in and they look at your business and and, and um, kind of show you the places where you can um, be successful. You know, here's the market that you need to go after in Kansas City. Uh, here's the low hanging fruit for you to go after. Here's how we suggest you. Here's the mix designs you should use, and here's the uh, products that you should use. And, and so, um, I think that that takes that idea of being a partner with a customer to another level. Um, where yes, it's something we charge for, um, but we also have things built right in there that say, you know, if, if we're going to charge you for this, but if you buy this many mixers from us, we're just going to waive that. 
um, that fee. So um, it really truly is in, in a sense there a partnership because now you're getting, if you grow your company, you're getting, you're getting all that consulting for free. Um, and so, you know, if you aren't successful in growing that company and, and executing on those strategies that have been put in place, then, uh, then, then there's a fee for that consulting. But um, if you're successful, uh, which we, are hoping you are. And uh, obviously we're partners in that. We want you to be successful. Um, I think it really truly speaks to, um, we're not just getting lip service at Prol to say, oh, well, we, you know, we're partners to our customers. Um, we're, we're actually putting things in place in full business units uh, that are dedicated to um, coming alongside customers and helping them build their businesses. Um, obviously it's not altruistic. Uh, we sell them more equipment, but, um, of course, of, of but, course, uh, yeah. but it is something that we've identified as, as, uh, as being really, uh, uh, important moving forward. Well, I like, I like also differentiating, you know, maybe the old world of relationship selling, like, Oh, we like each other and I buy them hockey tickets. And like, we have a relationship versus what you just described was a value added process that actually truly like, again, the word partner gets thrown around pretty loosely in business as well. Like, Oh, we partner yeah. with our clients though. We actually help them run their business better using the tools that we provide. But like for, you know, for you guys, that education and that opportunity to be a thought leader builds a real trusted relationship that not just a buddy relationship. And I find in selling, sometimes that word relationship selling gets thrown around yeah. maybe loosely where when you talk about thought leadership and value add, that's how you get and retain customers. And whether they're you know down the street or 2000 miles away, if you're providing that kind of value to their business, the relationship st stays strong. It's not, oh, I didn't have time. We didn't get to go for beer, so we don't have a good relationship. And I think it's good to differentiate those two because they're not, they're not the same. And they get thrown around loosely yeah. in sales kind of quite a bit. Yeah, well, it's, what, it's easy to be friends with a customer. It's easy to be, you know, uh, to be buddies and go for drinks. That That's yeah. easy, right? That's the easiest part of sales. It's another thing to actually um, give them something of value to help them grow their business. That's, <laughs> in addition to going for drinks, <laughs> you want to Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with yeah. being friends with your customers, but right. At the end of the day, that you're there to you're there to add value and, and keep that relationship yeah. strong. Well, Andrew, I really appreciate you sharing the perspective, and this is a story that I thought needed to be told. And again, part of the show is getting people getting on people's radar, different things that are going on in Calgary or you know Alberta because we don't live in a, we don't live in a little dome here. We're all we're all connected that we can get excited about and be proud of, and what you guys are doing and your ability to gain customers globally through something you've been doing for 50 years and that you're only doing better and better every day. And, so kudos to you guys and thanks for coming on the show and just being so transparent about like, here's what we do. Here's who we are. Here's how we make it work. What's the, uh, what's the best way if someone's curious and wants to chat with you personally, what's the best way for someone to get a hold of you? LinkedIn or what's your, what's your best? Uh, yep. LinkedIn would be uh, great. So, um, you know, I've got uh, my, my public profile. There's Andrew Coates, um, on LinkedIn. Um, and then, um, uh, if they're interested in, in something specific to pro all, um, you know, just f fire me an email, a coats at, proallinc.com. I'd uh, be happy to answer any questions or anything that's come up. I really appreciate you having me on, give me a platform to talk a little bit about what we're doing um, at ProAll and in Olds. Uh, it's my, my pleasure. Thanks for coming on. And uh, I will give a blatant plug that uh, this will go out mid to late January. So please go check out their new website. It's good. It's going to be, it is fantastic. I'll say it as if yeah. it already is. Uh, we've had the privilege of working with you guys. So I've uh, loved to get to know you guys and I lo love what you do and really glad we could get you on the show. So Andrew, it's been an absolute yeah, pleasure. You too. Thanks, Thanks my Adam. friend. Appreciate it.